I'm going to thank all the dear men, uh, deacons, staff. You know, no pastor pastors by himself. You got to have a whole congregation. Amen. You got to have a. There's a lot of people that want to take a credit. Not many want to do the work. And I thank you, laborers, co-laborers with us, deacons, elders, ushers, Sunday school teachers, attenders, givers, prayer warriors. You know who you are. And uh, tonight we are going to uh, blow out all the stops. So if you don't like music, go ahead and stay home. We set aside $40,000 this year for acoustical treatment. They tell us now it's going to cost ninety, So we haven't forgot about it. We just need another $50,000. And we hope to save your ears. Many of you, if we can just collect the money you have paid for earplugs, we, we would do good. But we, we have not forgot about it. We just, it's costing us more, we realize. It, it will be treated. We've got to do the ceiling. We've got to blow in the acoustic. We've got to put it on the walls. We've got to put panels on every wall because we, uh, we know you've lived in a sound bomb that we wish we could fix. And we can for about $100,000. So it's taken us a while. Through this t tough, tight economy, we haven't had the extra money, but we haven't forgot it. Thank you, precious men that came, and uh, just praise and thank God. Uh, I normally uh, let God tell me what to preach, until Deborah says, you will not preach Ruth for, you must preach what brought you to Valley. So I, I do it more than any other anniversary message because God, uh, I was uh, on a Thursday night in Fresno getting a master's degree with my favorite teacher, Dr. D. Edmund Hebert at the Mennonite Seminary in Fresno, Biblical Seminary. And uh, Deborah was two, playing at my feet. I'll never forget it. It was Thursday night. I was doing Greek homework. If anybody, has anyone ever taken Greek? <laughs> you do homework all the time, right? Now, you're always having to do it. And uh, it was like we were headed for a little church in Visalia. Carolyn was pregnant with our second daughter. And God spoke to my heart, go back where you stole hubcaps and start a church. Go back where you try to be a hoodlum and, and start a church, a Bible-teaching church. And uh, told Carolyn, she broke down crying. She just wanted a place to have a baby. And she didn't hear that in the equation. Matter uh, of fact, she worked long enough to earn enough money to pay for the baby, because I had none. And so we came. We came. I lived with my sister Hazel for about a month and a half got an apartment, Carolyn kept working, moved her up, and so the rest is just history. Uh, how many of us uh, were here in the 70s? Would you stand? How many joined us in the 70s? Anybody stand? <laughs> just keep standing. Uh, how many, and that was in Holy Ghost Hall, folks, and the chairs uh, made you homesick for heaven. They were terrible. We finally got some better ones. How many started coming in the 80s? 80s. And the 80s was at Garrison School. Garrison School, all right. Uh, how many started coming uh, 
in the 90s. You're kind of recent. <laughs> 90s. I'm out of uh, 2001 through 2010. How many of you have been with us less than a year? Less than a year. Okay. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You may be seated. Uh, let me uh, speak on the verse that he, he gave me, Isaiah 54, 17, and Revelation 3, 8. Let me read it. I'll begin with verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie, behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of the trial that is coming upon the whole occupied earth to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Before we look at what he says to us, I want you to note who says this. Who is talking? And you must go back to chapter 1, and we just pick up at verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice. Isn't that interesting, to see a voice? That was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were burnished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. Down in verse 20 he says, As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels, and angels is also trans, the literal meaning is messengers, and we believe human messengers, are the messengers of the seven churches. 
and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Let us hear, first of all, everything said in chapter 2 and 3 and through the rest of this book is being said by this person, Christ. Recently, Manny D'Souza and I heard a man preach on the description of Christ, and we were stunned. We wanted to get on our face. We could not hardly move. And so the one that's talking to the seven churches is this, Christ, who says, I died on Calvary 60 years prior to this writing. This will be my last sighting until I come again. I showed up to Paul, and that was probably 50 A.D. in that area, maybe 40. But this is 90 A.D. from the Isle of Patmos where this writer John has been exiled. But he said the one talking is the voice, and he holds the lampstands and the messengers in his right hand. That means sovereign control. I'm in charge of my churches. I'll build my churches. I may not build yours. There's, the church does no better than its view of Christ. If you don't have an exalted, glorious, sovereign master Christ, you will take the church cheaply you will be lightly, you will think it's a man-made organization. All they want is your money because you don't know the head. When you know the head, you know it's not just about money. By the way, did you know every time you go to the grocery store, all they want is your money? Have you quit buying groceries? Every time you go to the gas station, all they want is your money. And all this stuff's going to perish. We don't just want your money. We want you to obey Christ. And he says here, let me describe him a bit before I look at what he tells us. He says, I've got control of these churches. I'm like the Son of Man, which comes from Daniel 7, 13, when one approaches the Ancient of Days, who has to be equal, which is God the Father in Daniel 7. But one came before the Ancient of Days, the Son of Man, of whom I said, you shall reign over the kingdoms of the earth. It's none less than Christ. Over 80 times in the gospel, he refers to himself, I'm the son of man. I'm God who took on flesh. Then he says, he's clothed like a high priest. He has the golden sash of a high priest. His hair is like wool. That's his eternality. He's not an old man, but it spoke of eternality. That's why the British judges would wear white wigs. It lent authority. Someone speaking with age and maturity is rendering judgment. With Christ, it's the voice of eternity. He was there from the beginning. Nothing ever came into being that did not come into being through him. He is before all. We don't consult the evolutionary department of University of Berkeley because we consult theology, not biology. If he said he created, he created. He knows how. And I don't need a microscope to figure him out. I've got Genesis 1. That's enough. He has spoken and he has not stuttered. It's clear. 
It's clear. And he goes on to say that his eyes were like a flame of fire. He says, I'm walking through these seven lampstands and I'm examining my churches. I'm never against my churches, but I'm against sin in them. And he's going to point out the sin he finds in these churches and the things they're tolerating, the things that they're doing and being seduced to do. And he says, I'm coming, and my eyes are going to look right through you. I know everybody in every pew. I know every church in America, Asia, China, India, South America, Australia. I walk in the midst of church wherever it is, and my eyes are penetrating. I know what you're doing with the money. I know how you're treating women. I know how you treat children. I know whether Christ is really the head or if you have an egomaniac for a pastor. I know. I know motives. I'm going to weigh everything you do at the Bema seat, but in the meantime, if you don't straighten up, I'm going to remove your lampstand. I'm going to shut you down. I'm going to say, and we'll say, whatever happened to that church? Whatever happened to that congregation? Where is that preacher? When the head of the church tells us to change, we must change. He penetrates. You can't hide. You're always naked for him. He's in the shower with you. You didn't know that, did you? God sees you naked. There's nothing you... You put on 10 garments, he looks right through. He says, I penetrate the heart. My word is sharp as a two-edged sword, and it divides things so close as spirit and soul, bone and marrow. It is a critic of the heart. He knows everything about everyone in this building and every church anywhere. And he says, I'm coming to you in judgment. The burnished bronze is judgment. And then he said, I'm going to speak to you. And when I speak to you, it will be like the roar of many waters. I was stunned as Steve Lawson shared this passage. And he said he was in New York preaching. And when he was there preaching, a man wanted to take him to Niagara Falls. He said, I've never been there. Sure, I want to go. And so his host took him there. And they went to a lookout point. They got their raincoats. Uh, and got their hats, and while they were there, this man, being a New Yorker, wanted to fill him in on everything, you know, he knew about Niagara Falls. And he said, he talked, and he talked, and I never heard a word. The roar of the falls was above it all. And Christ is saying to these churches, when I talk to you, it's the voice of eternity. And when I talk, Mount Sinai quakes. And when I talk, this is no uh, invalid, weak voice, old man. This is deity talking to his churches. I talk, and I'm John himself is on the Isle of Patmos hearing the waves come in. But he said, it's not like waves. It's like the roar of water. And he that's got an ear will hear me. Now, that one spoke to my heart in 71, and I was changing my theological beliefs, and I was making a transition. I was going to have to leave the circles I grew up 
the people that were family that I loved, but because of doctrines of grace, I, I was being, I, I wasn't fitting, and I didn't want to cause division and confusion, so I didn't know what to do but to come out. But I had no money. I landed here $1,000 in debt. I had a new car that I lost in three months. I only lived three months in an apartment until my brother David said, why don't you move in with me? You don't have any money. There were no salaries. After five years, they finally said, maybe we can give him a salary. So they just had a box. We had a box in the back. And you put in general fund, and they, then they would say pastor support, and that they put in a smaller font. The others was real big, you know, general, missions. Everybody gets a burden for that. Pastors, they're rich already. And so uh, you wouldn't believe. See, I never made $5,000 in my life. I taught at a college 70 hours a week for $400 a month. And my wife had to go to work to keep me there because they never paid us in the summer. They had no money. So we never knew money was tied to ministry. Ever when I was around, Lord, you keep, we'll keep him poor, you keep him humble. But this church, everything I've got in life is tied to me being in this church. I didn't have a house. All of a sudden, a man drops an offering in. Do you remember? I'm not on a salary. One Sunday, a man drops a check for $14,000 in there and signs on the envelope, it's time for the pastor to have a house. So I bought the lot. What a way to get a house, huh? I uh, gave up my car. A guy gave me a junker. I drove it for three years. He sold it. He said, I made more money than I originally paid for it. People, every time people invited me out, they knew my line was, I can't pay, but I can eat. They still invited me out. Because I, I always pray to the Lord, I don't want to be a prostitute, Lord. I want to give you my service because I love you. And I don't want money to be my God. Money makes a great servant, but it makes a terrible God. And guess what? I've never missed a meal. I got more clothes than I can wear. And I can't believe after 40 years how he is blessed and blessed and blessed. Now, he said to me, you go and you start this church and I'll do for you what I did for Philadelphia. I'll be your doorkeeper. Would that be enough? If Jesus is your doorkeeper, can he keep the door open? Can he shut it? I always say, you better know that you've got the right doorkeeper. And then he said, by the way, I've got a set of keys. In Revelation 1, he says, I've got a key that controls everybody who lives and dies. I've got the keys of death, hell, and the grave. And I control who goes to death. I control who stays alive. I control who goes to heaven. I control who goes to hell. If I'm your key man and your doorkeeper, will you go? I said, I, I think I can trust him more than a million dollars. You don't need money if you've got Jesus. And so he said, if you'll go... And he said, you know what he, he said to me? I love it. I know that you've got little strength, and that's never changed. You know, with age, you get weaker. So I'm expecting Christ to do more. 
because his strength is made manifest in weakness. That's one day I had fun with Ron Hughes. He's talking about our curb appeal. And of course, when you've been here 40 years at curb appeal, you ought to go to a hall where there's vomit. You ought to go where beer cans are on the exit. You ought to go where uh, they had a fight the night before and the vodka is on the side and the blood's on the wall and Carolyn is spraying and I'm wiping up the messes so we can turn it into a sanctuary. We've never had ambience. It's taken me nearly uh, 10 years to get used that I get this kind of facility. I'm not used to this. I'm better in small buildings, small places, uh, terrible ambiance, terrible conditions, and the gospel, and a few folks that love it. So this is the most I've ever had. And I wonder, what in the world is God? Did he make a mistake to be this good to us? No, he said, I know you're weak. I've always raised my hand when he said that. Is there anybody weak? I am. And what does he say? I won't use you. You're too weak. You don't cry. No, 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 no. I set before you an open door which no one's able to shut because I know you have little power, little strength, but you've kept my word. I started Valley because I was trusting his word and I wanted to preach the doctrines I've preached here for 40 years. I didn't start this church because I was an evangelist. I started because I was a Bible teacher and I said, I don't want anyone to tell me what I can say the Bible says. I'll pay the price. I'll come out. I won't bother anybody. In a dance hall, I wouldn't bother anybody. But I must preach the sovereignty of God, the elective mercies of God, the keeping power of God, Christ and Christ alone. That's been the holiday for me, is to preach Christ. Then he goes on, he says, let me tell you, because I've got to move. I'm, I'm on a program schedule. Only thing in our program, uh, they wrote down I had 30 minutes. Everything else, they had no time limit. It hurts on your 40th anniversary to say, and you say that much? Shut up after that. He sets an open door. What is that? What is the open door? Open door of salvation? No doubt it includes that. An open door of service? My prayer is this. Will we be the church of the open door for the next 40 years? Or will sin close the door? See, it's sin that closes the door, not weakness. It's not weakness. It's not money. It's sin. When we don't listen to him and we do as we please, that's when he closes the door. I don't have to get along with you, but I got to get along with him. Some of you staring at me. You don't believe me, do you? I don't have to get along with you, and you don't have to come to this church. I don't care if you come or don't, if you don't want Christ. Your personality is no better than mine. The only reason we're in this place is Jesus saved us and put us in the body. We're in the body. We didn't get to pick who he'd save. There's some folks, I say, are you sure, Lord? At least put them in another church. With a disposition like they've got, they need another church. Nay, they need a pastor that knows kung fu. Saints are not always easy to get along with, but Jesus is wonderful. And he overcomes every one of our hang-ups. We've all got them. We're all flawed people. But he said, I'll be your doorkeeper. He went on to say, I will make those who oppose you 
come and bow and become believers in the Jewish synagogue that happened to be there. We've only had a few Jews saved through this ministry, and they were never of the synagogue of Satan. They just didn't know Christ. Um, he says to them, I'll keep you from the hour of tribulation that's coming on from the whole world. Now, there's two ways you can take that. You take it that there was a, something devastating coming on the earth at that time, and he says, I'm going to keep you from it. That's one way to take it. Others take it that he's going to keep them from all the wrath he's going to pour out in chapter 6 through 19. That hour, because in the Greek it's I'll, ek, I'll keep you out of the hour, not just any hour, of the temptation, definite temptation, definite trial, not just trials in general, a specific hour, and I won't keep you through it, I'll keep you out of it. The Greek lens to us who think the church is going to escape the great tribulation. You will never escape tribulation. We all got to go through tribulation. We bury people from cancer. We bury loved ones. We lose loved ones. We go through all kinds of things. But it seems to be a special promise of the hour of the temptation I'll keep you out of. Did you know hell is going to visit this earth? And it won't be from hell. It'll be from heaven. God is going to pour out his wrath on the earth. The earth has not been visited with judgment since the cross and Noah's flood. But I'm going to tell you, rain is coming. But it won't be water. It will be fire. And Peter says the earth will pass away with fervent heat. God has got a day of judgment that he's going to bring the nations who have rejected Christ, and he's going to deal with them. It's going to be a fearsome time in which men cry for the rocks and mountains to fall on them. He said, I'll keep you from that hour. What a promise. Then he said, I'll establish you as a temple, as, as a pillar in the temple of God. This is very interesting. Since Philadelphia was built upon volcanic ash, much of it, had a lot of earthquakes and volcanoes in the area, and the soil was very unstable. They were given to, to earthquakes, and, and it was almost a laugh to think anything could be stable in Philadelphia. He says to them, I'll establish you in my temple. that You won't be removed. You won't be moved. I'm promising you stability, keeping, and I've got another home I'm going to establish you in. I'm building a temple, and you're in it, and you will be established. Then he says something that I think is beautiful. In the future, your name, if I understand him, I'm not quite sure. I might, but in the future, your name won't be Howard. In heaven, I don't know that I'll be known as Philip. He said, and I don't mind that since I don't like the meaning of Philip, uh, don't let anyone take your crown. I'll make you a pillar in the temple of my God. You won't have to travel anymore. I'll write on him the name of my God. Now, what name is that? Elohim, Adonai, Jehovah, Jehovah Nissi, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Rapha, uh, Jehovah Teniskanu. Which name of God are you talking? I am I'm not sure, 
God's got a lot of names. And I'll write the name of the city of my God, maybe so we don't ever lose the address. I don't know. Some of us could lose any address. You won't need a GPS in heaven. The new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven. And get this. And I'm going to write on you my own new name. None of us know it. What is his new name going to be? Philippians 2 says a part of the ascension gift the Father gave Christ, he's given him a name, but he's not revealed it yet. Guess what? When we start eternity, he's going to reveal it, and he's going to, boom, he's going to stamp it on us. However he does it. And you're going to have my, my name. You're going to be my namesake for all eternity. And whatever that name is, I hope he puts it on my forehead. Well, I like to see it. Put it anywhere. Maybe he's just going to say, I've named you. I hope, surely, I'll know what he's going to call me. You're going to get a new name. A new name. It's amazing how sin renames people. He's a liar. She's a prostitute. He's a drunk. He's a killer. He's a thief. Just think the last thing we remember about a man on the cross is he was a thief, probably a murderer, whatever, for the Roman Empire to kill him. He was bad. And then to land into heaven, said, what's your name? Thief on the cross? Nope. Drug dealer? Nope. Murderer? Nope. Fornicator? No. Gambler? Drunkard? What would your new name be? It would be a name that even Christ bears, and he has shared his name with me for eternity. I will be known by the new name of Jesus, whatever that is. Some kids have such a poor image. They've been called stupid. You never amount to anything. You're a loser. You're in a new family where none of those terms can ever be applied to you. He calls the sheep by name, and he renames them. Rename. That is a powerful, because a name reflects character and nature. He's going to do something, and he says, hold on. Don't let anyone rob you. I uh, close with some words that I found from my favorite preacher, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And on his 40th anniversary, these were the words he said. 40th anniversary, great preachers last 40 years, then die. He died in his 50s, so I've outlived him by 10 years. But he was a great preacher. I'm the student of great preachers. Listen to what he said. This was his last sermon, June 1891. Some of you remember. That's 120 years ago. It is heaven to serve Jesus. He is the most magnanimous of captains. There never was his like among the choices of princes. He is always to be found in the thickest part of the battle. When the wind blows cold, he always takes the bleak side of the hill. The heaviest end of the cross lies ever on his shoulders. If he bids us carry a burden, he carries it also. If there is anything gracious, generous, kind, and tender, yea, lavish and superabundant in love, you always find it in him. 
These 40 years and more have I served him, blessed be his name, and I have nothing but love from him. I would be glad to continue yet another 40 years in the same dear service here below, if so it pleased him. His service is life, peace, joy, all that you would enter it at once. God help you to enlist under the banner of Jesus even this day. Amen. I received some orders from Christ to stand at the foot of the cross until he comes. And though the cross story has become old, old, stale, though it sounds to itching ears and worn threadbare as critics may deem it, it is of Christ I love to speak of Christ who loved and lived and died, the substitute for sinners, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. The cross has enchained me. I'm forever standing at the foot of the cross. And that is my prayer, is that if I die, I would love to die in the pulpit chained to the cross.